1: how to reconcile Eastern medicine approaches with Christianity, and a whole lot more. Now, here's your host, Dr. Lauren. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that
0: was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410.
2: Thanks, John. You heard
0: it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now, 800-497-4410.
2: Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states.
0: Welcome back to another episode of Christian Natural Health. Today, I'm excited to have Sam Black with us. Sam is a renowned author and expert in the field of pornography recovery. As the director of recovery education at Covenant Eyes, he brings a wealth of experience to his work, having joined the organization in 2007 after a distinguished 18-year career as an award-winning journalist. Sam is the author of two groundbreaking books, The The Healing Church, What Churches Get Wrong About Pornography and How to Fix It, and The Porn Circuit, Understand Your Brain and Break Porn Habits. He has also edited 16 other books on the impact of pornography and regularly speaks at parenting, leadership, and men's events across the country. Sam's deep knowledge and compassionate approach have helped countless individuals and families find healing and hope. Welcome, Sam. Thanks so much for joining us.
2: Honored to be here, Lauren. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Absolutely. So, all right, I'm really interested in this concept of addiction and how that plays into pornography. So tell us a little bit about... The term neuroplasticity, first of all. So, what is that? What does that have to do with addiction in general?
2: It used to be thought that our brains, especially when we reached the age of about 26, that we were just kind of stuck, yeah. that all the things that happened before then were uh, helping form that brain. And then after that, if you were just sort of ceramic, it, it was believed that the brain was more ceramic than it was plastic. And so, neuroplasticity just simply reminds us. That the brain is more plastic than it is ceramic, and it can be formed and changed throughout your lifetime and certainly the early ages have a major impact. there's more neurons that are there, there's more mirror neurons, and we'll talk about some of that wow. uh, that brain is very impactful and very well impacted at young ages. but what we know is that throughout your lifetime you can change exchange bad habits for good habits mm-hmm. and Good habits from bad habits. So we want to make sure that we are reforming our brains for good, encouraging, growing and satisfying neural pathways in our brain that draws to things that are beautiful and good and not the things that are using others, abusing others or hurting ourselves yeah, and our relationships. True.
0: So, and it sounds like um, what you're kind of alluding to is the fact that once we've created those neural pathways, then it becomes a lot easier for us to trace the pattern that we've already established, right? Like, is that essentially what a habit is? Is it like a neural pathway that's been well-worn?
2: A a lot of it has to do with both our neural pathways is how we, what we've learned to think. We learn what we like, believe it or not. That's part of neuroplasticity. We create connections in our brain that says, I associate this with this and so often with when it comes to pornography um it may have started out as curiosity or even a bit of pleasure Mm -hmm. but over time we have a anytime there's a sexual cue picked up anything anytime there's some maybe some social emotional environmental triggers that happen
1: Mm -hmm.
2: suddenly we connect with Um, Either I picked up a sexual cue, I must go out, act out with pornography, or I feel bad about myself, I've had a bad day, I'm angry, Mm. so I go out with pornography as well. So we're associating those uh, stimuli with how do I find relief? And that becomes that escapism
0: Mm.
2: becomes so impactful on the individual, both in mind, body, and spirit.
0: Right. Yeah. So what you're saying, it's reminding me a little bit, I don't know if you've ever read the book um, by Charles Duhigg, The Power of Habit. And he makes this argument that the neurochemistry, have you read that one before?
2: Yes. Yeah. yes.
0: Uh, so he makes this this great argument. I use this a lot of times with patients that are struggling with various different types of addiction, where once you have a habit, there's the trigger, there's the behavior itself, and then there's the reward. And he Mm -hmm. argues that once you've got the habit, you can't just erase it altogether. But what you can do is take the same trigger and the same reward, but substitute a different behavior in the middle in order to get you to that same ultimate place. So it seems like what you're saying is that when an addiction is initially formed, there's, as you say, there's the cue. And then that makes people think, oh, I need to go act out in pornography or something like that in order to get the reward I'm seeking. So perhaps we're kind of venturing into the territory of what we do in order to replace that behavior. Is that kind of part of the thought?
2: Absolutely. And not only that, it's often not done on even a conscious level. Mm -hmm. Often though, when those cues or triggers are, are happen, Mm -hmm. uh, people might go many hours Mm -hmm. without acting out with pornography.
1: Yeah.
2: Might put that off. Not realizing that they're, they're stuffing it, they're trying to push it down, they're trying to push those emotions away. Right. But later on, they'll probably act out with pornography, right. because yeah, that that cue is picked up, that right. habit is still ingrained in our psyche, and we go looking for it, even though we're not actually trying to look for it. <laughs> There's often though some obsession that happens, right? We get there to this the cue, the trigger is picked up the negative belief is picked up. Mm-hmm. And then the escapism thoughts begin to happen and obsessive thoughts begin mm-hmm. to occur. Mm-hmm. And so the person might be saying, hey, I don't want to think this way. I don't want to be thinking about that. I'm trying to put this behind me. Mm-hmm. And yet the more they try to put it to the side, the more they obsess with it. And they obsess with it until they act out with it. And then after they act out, they begin feeling this Huge amounts of shame over something that they said they didn't want part of their life, and it can be so impactful that I call it shame of self hatred at my expense. I knew I couldn't do this, I knew i had this uh I can never live up to the standards that I have in my faith uh in my person uh and 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 I've promised myself I've promised others I've promised God that I would never go back here and look I'm right here back again. It yeah. just shows how worthless I am, and it goes back to reinforce those negative belief systems that we have about ourselves. And so, um, we then try to escape those negative feelings. And so, sometimes it just becomes where the binge cycle happens with pornography, or right. shopping, or food, or yeah. other things that are that right. are unhealthy for us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Absolutely. And and so then after a while we get back on the back bandwagon we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna try harder we're gonna work harder we're gonna recommit and so it's like flipping a coin of perfectionism right. I'm going to I'm going to do the right thing I'm going to get this together and I can only do that for so long and then that coin flips again and I'm back and to failing self-loathing I'll never get this right. And so perfectionism and shame and perfectionism and shame are is like a coin that's continually flipped until you really find some outside help right. to, to start a pathway toward freedom.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense. And it seems like as you're talking, two thoughts are, are coming to me. First of all, the idea of willpower as a finite resource. So it's something that you can only use for so long. And at a certain point, you just don't have any enough anymore and you're going to snap. But then also, how, does, how would you say that, you know, the dichotomy between Romans 7 and Romans 8 plays into this as far as the way that Paul talks about, you know, I'm constantly trying and trying and trying. and oh woe is me, that I am this sinful man and I can't break this. But then we get to the freedom in Christ. What, how does that kind of juxtapose against like the traditional purity sermon that we're often taught?
2: Well, I, I, and then I wanted to go over to James five sixteen, which teaches us to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed. Right? Right, yeah. So often we yeah. want to just focus on John, who says us to confess our sins without, let's just ignore James, because what he asks us to do is hard. Okay. <laughs> he asks us to commune with one another. Sure. Uh, and so when I am uh, talking to another man about my sin and my struggle, as I was going through re- recovery, and I still maintain that, yeah. is to, uh, I'm telling him not just this happened, mm-hmm. uh, because he, he's smart enough to say, Sam, you told me this, this happened. What happened before that? Right. right. So what, what was leading up to that? Well, I had a bad day.
0: Well, right. oh, you had a bad
2: day and you just, you went to pornography. Well, well, what happened in the bad day? Oh, well, my boss yelled at me and I had missed a deadline and well, oh, okay. Well, how did that how did that make you feel because these feelings are addressed in your behavior yes. so oh well you know I, when i felt that way I, when i got when I, that conflict happened i felt self self doubt and lack of self worth and it reminded me of it being yelled at as a kid and i felt really demeaned and and i've and then as more i thought about it the more or less i felt good about myself and the next thing i know i i get home and i just want to escape and i relieve right so okay great now we've uh does your value uh orient about how well you did on your job that day?
0: Mm-hmm. Is that your
2: identity? Is how well you performed
1: right. in that yeah, or
2: yeah. is your identity found in Christ, Right. right. Okay. And so and what's gonna happen the next time you begin feeling those emotions? Can you name them when you feel them? Can you say, I am feeling angry or uh sad or Grieved, or I'm happy, or whatever it is. Can you begin naming your feelings of where you're at, and so that you can identify? Mm. Hey, I'm I'm struggling right now. Why am I struggling? Why is why do I have these temptations? Yeah. Oh well, let's think about it. And the more we're curious about it, we go, oh, oh well. Earlier in the day, that happened, and I began having that emotion. That's why I'm I'm feeling triggered right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think it, I've identified it. And if necessary, I can call my ally, my uh, friend who who wants to who is walking with me,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: I can talk about that. Now mm-hmm. I'm not bound. I can make greater choices. I can make better decisions mm-hmm. that are enriching, that help build new neural pathways mm-hmm. that allow me to have better habits, live more holy in Christ. And I can surrender this in prayer. I can surrender this in confession. I can and not wait for the sin to happen to confess. But to confess, hey, this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm thinking of doing. Mm-hmm. And before those actions happen, I can be curious about it. I can talk to someone else with about it. And I can really live in that freedom.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, that's great. So I, what I like about what you're describing is that you're actually getting to the root cause. You're not just looking at the fact that there's this trigger and this desire to go look at pornography or whatever else the addiction might be, but there's a reason why that trigger was formed in the first place. And there's an underlying problem that you're trying to solve. So if you don't address that underlying problem, the desire will always be there. But if we can take that to Jesus, then we can actually relinquish the shame. That's fabulous. So tell us a little bit about how this approach is different than what most churches typically do in order to address the issue of pornography. Why does the approach of most churches typically seem to not really hit the nail on the head in terms of what people need?
2: Unfortunately, one, we don't understand the issue very well in the church. We picture an adult Mm -hmm. who is suddenly confronted with pornography Mm -hmm. they need to either make a right choice or a wrong choice. Mm -hmm. And that's really not what is, what is happening. That's, that would be a great scenario because then we could just say, no, yeah, just not do that. And we could do things like uh, you've heard people say, well, just take Jesus to the computer with you or try a little harder, or you were talking about willpower. Why does my willpower run out? Right. So we need to think a little more deeply of, of how this adult is or a teen is there now. Why aren't they making this repetitive poor choice? Mm-hmm. And what we've found over and over again in Christian counseling, uh at Covenant Eyes, I, I also um am run a Uh, a group meeting with the Samson Society. You can find more about them at samsonsociety.com. It's a community of Christian men who are supporting one another. And by the way, there's a a program for women as well called sherecovery.com as well. Mm -hmm. Men and women typically who are struggling as older teens and adults Mm
1: -hmm.
2: were often exposed at an early age to pornography. While all those neural pathways are still forming, often before they even understand the basic mechanics of sex, they go from knowing, I don't know anything about sexuality, to the hardcore, demeaning, violent pornography that's available today.
1: Yeah.
2: And even back, if you're looking at older adults who are looking at print media or something of that nature, often... They were very young. I was 10 when I was first exposed. And when I talk to guys in Samson Society meetings and have them tell their story for the first time, over and over again, I hear I was exposed at five, six, seven, eight, ten years old, right? And so it that has a a big impact on that child. First of all, the child's uh prefrontal cortex, the decision-making part of the brain is not very formed it's lags way behind the feeling part of the brain who likes risk, who's impulsive. That's loves excitement, likes to see things new, very curious. And every child is naturally curious about what the opposite sex looks like without clothes. It's absolutely natural. It's very common for children to check each other out. And, uh, but that's typically where that curiosity ends. But when, Children are exposed to adult bodies and adult in fact over the top things in pornography, it's it's over it can be overwhelming. In fact, it can be even traumatic by what they're seeing. Yeah. And so, but they naturally get this little boost of dopamine, and dopamine makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. It also focuses your attention. Yep. Right. And it focuses your attention. Yep. And in God's design, that uh, in sex, it, that's perfect. It's beautiful. Uh, pornography, uh, because dopamine kicks off and it focuses your attention to the point of tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. The rest of the world disappears. That's yeah. God's design in marriage, right? Mm-hmm. So pornography is not sex. It's a hijacking of what God created.
1: Right.
2: And so while that dopamine uh, is making you feel good and focusing your attention, it also helps burn emotional memories into your brain. And it also kicks off some norepinephrine. That is also the fight or flight response and helping you burn those memories into your brain as well. That is why you ask about any adult, the first time that they saw pornography as a child, if they were exposed to a child, they not only th- can, they can tell you a full story about what happened. Even though they can't remember anything about that day, they can tell you a full story about their first exposure to pornography. When I was 10, I remember walking out of our home in Florida. My brother, who's 10 years older than me, was was standing with his friend and they were looking at a magazine sideways. And that just didn't make any sense. How can you read that way? And I said, what are you guys looking at? And they turned it around. And then his friend says, "Well, well, you don't want to miss the good part and unfolds the rest of it. I was like, I don't know. I don't I don't even understand this. Right. But I didn't step away or hide my eyes. I stepped forward because I was naturally curious even though I grew up in a Christian home. Sure. And so that initial exposure can be impactful. Mm-hmm. Now parents worry that oh my child has been exposed to pornography it's all oh, oh the damage is done I can't undo this. Well, yes, but there's there's some damage that's been done. There's some impact that's happened. But what a parent can do is begin having conversations. They might even start with an apology. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm, I'm so sorry that you saw that. No, I should have, this is not your fault. I want you to know, I should have prepared you for this day. It's not if you were going to be exposed to this content, it's when, and, and I should have prepared you for this day so that you could have turned and run and told me what was happening. Uh, But so I don't want you to feel shame about this, but we need to remember that this is, you know, and then we have a, a good conversation about it, right? We're having an ongoing conversation about this, right? Um, so what the real damage happens is that repetition, the ongoing use. And often that happens throughout adolescence.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so this repetitive use helps burn those neural pathways in the, to the brain and it becomes associated with things like shame, or fear, or mm. I felt angry, I didn't feel good about myself, I needed to escape, and so I felt that feeling, and then I escaped with pornography, and that felt good, but then I felt shame, and I had to hide it, and then it all becomes this vicious circle that becomes more and more entwined in mm-hmm. our mind, body, and spirit.
0: Right, absolutely. And so when those who are struggling with this begin to seek help from the church, what would you say like is is the wrong approach to have Uh, and what should people be looking for in order to say like, this is a toxic response that is not helpful for them versus something that is really more compassionate and helping them to overcome.
2: Well, for certainly you never want to shame a child when this is discovered. Right. Uh, I tell parents if shaming will simply teach your child how to hide better. You'll never shame them to obedience or escape. You want them to begin to understand when we just create red lines of sand and we don't cross that and don't ask me why that's not helpful. We want to have a really meaningful conversation and there's a lot of tools out there that can really help parents with this. Um, uh, At Covenant Eyes, we created a program called Safe Haven Sunday that churches can employ uh, for their congregations. And so it helps equip parents for when children have been exposed to pornography. Also, how do we have ongoing conversations with our kids, Uh, how we can address these kinds of issues well. Um, So we really want to equip churches with this. Um, We also have a free app called Victory by Covenant Eyes. And within there is more than 30 courses that help adults understand how did I get here? why do i seem to stay stuck and how can i begin finding freedom but there's also courses in there for parents and others to help them begin navigating this as well john fort wrote a great book called the talk or honest talk mm-hmm. and in uh, that uh that book he really helps parents navigate this well and have a good conversation
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. awesome and so what would you say has been like we're talking we're talking about people in the church and children, what about porn and ministry? What do you feel like that? What kind of impact has that had on the church at large?
2: Oh, it certainly has. Let me pause for a moment because I think we got ahead of ourselves and there's three things that I think we need to understand of that adult who's an older teen. It's the early exposure, ongoing use and repetition, and finally, some trauma or drama, especially happened early in life. It might be happened otherwise. So those that's why that adult is struggling so hard, right? So I was 10 years old. I had, when I was first exposed, but I also had a friend and his dad had pornography that was falling out of his closet. Uh, If you can imagine this shelf up top, uh, with stacks of pornography, it was kind of falling over and there was a pile of it on the floor. It looked like a waterfall I could take anything I wanted and I did. And that ongoing repetition use helped burn that into my brain. But I also um, came from a home that was violent, hypocritically so, even though it was a Christian home. And when I would feel fear and frustration and anger, I didn't even realize that I was using pornography as a self-soothing to Escapism and things, and that would those triggers would expand to things like boredom or frustration. I didn't do well at school. Maybe I got bullied. Whatever, and so pornography would follow me from middle school to high school, um, into college, into my marriage. And I'm probably among the most fortunate people you meet when I agreed to go to a marriage class with my wife at the church that she was attending. When I by this time had become pretty agnostic. I was just like, yeah, there's probably a God. I don't think he has anything to do with me. Okay. And uh, But when I walked into that classroom, the teachers closed the door and they said, listen, this is a safe place. And what is said here stays here. And in that environment, people were talking about the ugly things they said to their spouse and their the, things that they were feeling and thinking and doing in their marriage that weren't godly, that weren't helpful, but they were getting them out. They were being honest and they were seeking good instruction. Well, in that environment, that's where I also learned that pornography could be compulsive and addictive. And that was a great relief. That meant evolution didn't make me this way, that God didn't make me this way and I didn't have to stay this way. <laughs> right? So I got to uh, with other brothers in Christ, take a journey in freedom to better understand. So that's the significance of we need the one another's in the Bible where we can confess our sins to one another, pray for one another, have a good good conversation then allow God to do his healing work in our mind, body, and spirit, because it's impacting all three. Our body has literally been changed, right? By pornography, the way our, our neural pathways have been created, how we've used our body to, um, in, in ways that were not designed by God, and, and how it has impacted how we think, the lies that we believe,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and our, our spirit and our conscience have been seared in so many ways, and that healing and life change and heart change needs to happen, and that doesn't typically happen overnight.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, you've alluded multiple times to the verse on confessing our sins and praying for one another so that we can be healed. But I'm thinking about, you know, anything that you leave in the darkness tends to fester. When you open it up to the light, that's when there's a possibility of actual healing and, and being cleaned in that way. You
2: know, that's a foundational principle of the faith, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. How
2: well do we practice that in our local church?
0: mm mm-hmm. Right. Yeah.
2: Well, right? So it's pretty, You, I talk to a uh, church, we know each other. And so it's really hard to be honest with someone you really know that they've known you. And then I'll talk to uh, people in large churches. Oh, I've got 3,500 or 5,000 people or more who attend my church. And I don't really have someone I can really know and connect with and can have that kind of conversation. How How do I find someone like that? So, it's not the size of the church that's the problem. We need to ask ourselves what part of James five sixteen do we not believe
0: right absolutely right?
2: so we can press into this and to truly and what's so amazing about that mm-hmm. is that we really long to be fully known mm-hmm. and fully loved absolutely absolutely fully known and fully loved and so what James is teaching us is to be known to yeah. be able to, to Take away, drop our secrets, drop the facade Mm -hmm. and be honest with someone else before God so that we can begin taking steps in a journey that says, okay, I want to know, how did I get here? Mm -hmm. Why do I seem to stay stuck? I'm ready to take my first steps of freedom. And that's again, that victory app by covenant eyes is a great tool that can really begin helping. And by the way, a lot of this content, of course, in my book, The Healing Church, what churches get wrong about pornography and how to fix it. You can download the first, uh, the introduction and the first chapter at thehealingchurch.com.
0: Healingchurch.com. Awesome. I will put that in the show notes. Fantastic. So as far as kind of um, back to the original question or the previous question on church leadership, how big a, how big a deal is this in church leadership? Is this a big issue for, for even those who are in church leadership and ministry?
2: Well, I'm, I'm going to look at my book here. I just happen to have that underlined here. This is a, from a 2016 Barna study. So there's another study being done now, but this is the latest information. 57% of pastors and 64% of youth pastors say they've struggled with pornography currently or have in the past. Wow. That's About amazing. 21% of youth pastors and 5% of senior pastors believe they are addicted to pornography. So yes, this is having a big impact on those in the faith. And what I've often found of with ministry leaders who are struggling is they have experienced the same things that others who are struggling in their church. They've experienced struggles. They are, they've, they've seen, they've had the early exposure. They've had some impact, drama, pain in their lives. That they, and in fact, it's one of the things that drew them into ministry. They had hurt they had felt God's moving power in their lives and and they wanted to share that with others, mm-hmm. but they were never really allowed within the church to really deal with those underlying issues. Right? So they think, well, when I, uh, I was in middle school, I have heard this story over and over again from missionaries and pastors said, you know, when I was in middle school, I thought, well, once I got to high school, I'd be around more mature people and I wouldn't do this anymore. And that didn't work. And so when I, I thought, well, I'm going to a Christian College. and when I get the Christian college I'll be around other Christians, and that great influence will just this day. and I'll be around seminarians who are who are sold out and working hard on their faith and and I won't struggle with this anymore and when that didn't work, they thought well when I, when I go into ministry i'll be I'll be so dedicated that uh, this will disappear from my life. And until we really begin dealing with the underlying issues and struggles and release them and allow God's healing power to come into that with others and not by ourselves and not simply saying, hey, I did this and and I'm really sorry, but really digging deeply. Why are you going here? How can you identify your emotions? Can you really allow God and honesty to... In your confessions, really dig deeper than simply this is the action I took. What is the underlying things that's behind that? And how can we release those things? How can we learn through forgiveness? How can we learn through compassion for ourselves and others? How can we grow in wholeness in Christ? Mm -hmm. Because here's the cool thing about all of this is that when you go on a real path toward freedom. Mm That singular sin that seems so terrible and overwhelming mm-hmm. that we want to get rid of. We couldn't seem to fight. Once we, when we go on a healing journey, that just seems to be one thing that we need to deal with. Mm-hmm. Suddenly closets open up and the corners are lit up.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: we can, not only to address the one concern that was so tough, mm-hmm. but we get to live a greater, with greater hope, and greater faith, mm-hmm. and greater wholeness in Christ. And so we're not just worried about the one thing. Mm-hmm. We get to live in total and real freedom in Christ.
0: Wow, awesome. So for somebody who is seeking help for the accountability that you're talking about so that they can confess their sins and pray for one another, where do they look for those people? How do they find them? How do people begin the process of doing all of this?
2: Well, we've got a, a course on that. And these courses are easy. We made them very, very easy to flip through and read and take five minutes or eight minutes a day uh, in reviewing them. We also have them in audio. So within the Victory App by Covenant Eyes, we also show you how do I find someone? How do I seek out someone that I can trust to be my ally? You know, we often talk about accountability partners in the church and that accountability is a good thing. But often it's gotten a really bad and tainted uh, <laughs> uh okay. I don't know what the right words. It's got been tainted. It's it, a little bit. Uh, it's, oh accountability. I'm going to hold you accountable, right? It's right. punitive, right? And what we an ally, and rather than an ally, accountability, but an ally has your back. They mm-hmm. know your goals. Them your goals, they they care about you. They love you. They want to see you succeed. And so we help in, at, at Covenant Eyes, we want to talk about having ally relationships because those are, are the ones that are empowering and instructive and supportive. And so we not only help the individual who's finding needing help, but we also be, equip and train the allies well with those courses so that they can have a better understanding of why does my friend struggle so much how can i begin helping them in, in their journey
1: um
2: and so there's there are some tools to use rather than just trying to figure this out on our own you don't have to reinvent the wheel to find your own journey this has been mapped out already
0: mm-hmm. and all
2: of our courses by the way are are have been counselor reviewed
0: oh wonderful Very cool. Yeah. So what have I not asked you that you want to make sure that you leave with our audience?
2: One is there's a, often a belief and taught in the church that this is just something you'll have to struggle with your whole life. Mm -hmm. And that's a lie. That is not true. We do not have to live in bondage. You do not have to go throughout your life. I just don't think I'll ever be able to kick this porn habit. I just, you know, it's just part of something I'll always struggle with. But that's not true. Um, There is real freedom to be had. Mm
0: -hmm. So, and reiterate for the audience one more time, where can they go to get all these resources that you've talked about?
2: All right. First of all, go to your uh, Play Store or Apple Store and download uh, the Victory app by Covenant Eyes. Within there, again, are it's a free app. There's 30 courses or more in there. We can continually, continually add more, mm-hmm. uh, audio versions of them as well. So download that. And if you go to the healingchurch.com, you can download the introduction and the first chapter of the book.
0: Awesome. I will link to that in the show notes. And thank you so much, Sam. This has been fantastic.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's been a great conversation.
0: Are you looking for a holistically minded healthcare practitioner who truly treats root cause rather than symptom suppression?